With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to The Athletic Mind with your host, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Welcome back to The Athletic Mind. I will be flying solo today as I usher in our next guest, Tara Watchhorn. I'm going to read a pretty brief synopsis of her amazing career up until this point, but I'm definitely going to miss some stuff, so if you want to know more, Google her. <laughs> Tara played her collegiate ice hockey at Boston University, becoming a four-year letter winner for the Terriers, a two-time All-Hockey East member and New England Division I All-Star, as well as a member of the 2008 Hockey East All-Rookie Team. Watchorn enjoyed an 11-year playing career for Team Canada as a defenseman in which she appeared in 46 games in international competition as a three-time double IHF Women's World Championship silver medalist, and two-time gold medalist at the Four Nations Cup, all in addition to her Olympic gold medal from 2014. She now coaches at the Canadian under-18 level, where most recently she was able to help coach her squad to a gold medal. Watchhorn is also the first ever head coach for the Stonehill Skyhawks women's ice hockey program, where I am fortunate enough to call her my colleague and friend. I am incredibly excited to share this conversation about mindset, finding sustainable motivation through difficult highs and lows, and shifting gears from being an athlete at the highest levels to a coach at the highest levels. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tara Watchhorn. All right, so we're super excited to have Tara Watchhorn here. Tara, how are you doing? Just great. How are you doing? You know, it's a Monday. I've had two people tell me I look tired today. And I swear to God, it's any day that I don't put, like, a sizable amount of makeup on my face. And it's so, funny because I feel like we actually had a Sunday yesterday. Yeah. And I think we're more tired today. So I, that, there's got to be something in that, right? Like, because I felt, I felt like that as a player at times, right? You have a day off and then you wake up the next day and you're like, why don't I feel recovered? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are some things that play into that, but it's gotta be telling you something in terms of like the recovery that you need versus what you're getting on a daily basis mm-hmm. um, sometimes I find it's delayed right yeah. it's like it's that next day like I bet we'll feel even better tomorrow once we oh. reflect on it one could hope, one could hope. <laughs> yeah um so I think having you on 
this week to talk about like your journey through athletics, through hockey, obviously, um, how you got into coaching would be awesome because I feel like that's a pretty, there's a pretty big divide between players who do extremely well in the sport that want to coach versus players who never want to coach. Um, and I've certainly been on both sides of that. It was kind of interesting, but would love to hear like how that whole thing went through for you. And then we can talk a little bit about uh, what's going on here at Stonehill as well. So we're both super familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Where would you like me to start? How did you get into the great game? Pretty, uh, pretty standard. I like to say for a, a small town Canadian girl uh, playing hockey, my older brother played, he's two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be around the rink. Um, I think naturally it's where, you know, your family is and it's where all the excitement is. And I wanted to follow them around and just be a part of the action. And, but it's funny, my dad always tells the story that like, once I kind of got the bug for it, it was okay. Now I want to go to all of his practices, even as he got older. And he's like, all right, those 6am morning skates. He's like, you can come if you're ready, but I'm not going to wake you up. And apparently I'd be sitting on my hockey bag at 530 in the morning, ready to go. So I think from there though, I just like everything about the experience. I don't, I think I was a very like competitive kid that wanted to like succeed. So mm -hmm. I remember when I first got on, got out on the ice and I couldn't stand, yeah. I was like determined. I was like, I'm going to master this. I yeah. was like, I was so excited to finally play hockey. And obviously I did the figure skating to hockey transition naturally. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't stand. And I was like, all right, I need to master this. Yeah. So I think part of it was that just that like drive to want to master new things. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it was just the, the team. Yeah. So I think there's, there's like a big transition. And I talk about this a lot in my story going from like, we start the sport and I always say like fulfilling the Canadian stereotypes, mm -hmm. like it's our pastime, somebody like you end up interacting with it at some point in your life. Um, but like you go from this point in the sport where it's all about development. Nobody gives a shit whether or not you're scoring goals or where you're going with it. It's all about having fun and like being in that team building kind of scenario. And then at some point it changes mm -hmm. to where it's very outcome based. Like you are focused on where you're going next. You're focused on what the stat sheet says. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. You're so right. But now that I'm trying to reflect on my actual journey, mm -hmm. uh, I do feel fortunate. I mean, first, I had a lot of amazing coaches as you know, a young girl, which I think that's so invaluable. And if you think about how, you know, a lot of the times it's parents, a lot of the times, like you just never know, you don't know the kind of coaches you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um you know I played boys hockey on the rep team and I wouldn't say it truly transitioned into outcome yet even we had a really good coach that like we worked on all of the fundamentals and it, it there was a nice balance between like wanting to win and have success as a team but like still that focus on development I think I got got to live in that bubble for a pretty long time mm -hmm. um when I went to the boys triple a team right before going over to girls I would say that's where it slowly started to transition um, so probably not until I really started playing like juniors in high school, mm -hmm. but what I will say is that throughout all of that, still, there was always like the one D coach or assistant coach that like development, development, mm -hmm. I, my dad always found these like camps in the summer, heavy development focus. So I think that played a huge role. I just, I really felt like I always had that balance. So in terms of true, true outcome focus, probably with college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, I feel like the transition happens at some point, but that's, I feel kind of rare to mm -hmm. have that sort of focus when you're younger. Um, 
and obviously to have your parents pushing you in the direction of focusing on that development is huge I wonder if there's a correlation between like how much you focus on development when you're younger versus how much it stays with you throughout mm-hmm. your entire career is that something that you generally start to move away from but yeah it's kind of cool I'm happy you asked that question because I never reflected on it that way but I truly think that would be probably one of the reasons I was able to have success later down the line and Mm -hmm. um, it's everything yeah so then it's funny though right because you get into it and you're talking about getting to college was where you really felt that shift but in a lot of ways you were in a developing environment Mm -hmm. BU had just gotten itself going what three seasons before yeah so you're entering into the fourth season of a program there's still a lot of development happening there so what was that like yeah I think when you look at the college structure um you know there's just so many other things on top of it now Mm -hmm. school's tougher you're away from home and I think the real development you get in that environment is like all the resources you have now yeah and so I think like whether it's the strength coaches and athletic therapists like you have all of these tools at your fingertips so it's more you know, that holistic development that you get while like the hockey part is a little bit more outcome focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the amount, I mean, as you know, even coming from Ontario with the, you know, playing junior, you're still practicing twice a week and yeah. then playing on weekends. So for mm-hmm. us, when we get to college, it's like practices every day. So it's like the load increases. So that develops you in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then learning how to balance all of it. So I think that side really grew for me in college and I definitely didn't do it perfectly, but slowly figuring out the balance of it all. And then that helped grow in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. That's a common theme that we kind of heard with everybody that we've talked to that has been through college athletics is that it's a huge learning curve. Um, And uniquely enough, like when you're on a learning curve, you expect that right away, immediately, that's where all the growth and development occurs that you start to see it immediately. But I think what we've heard and what I know I experienced at least is that the learning curve was so steep. I almost rejected it a little bit, Mm -hmm. like from the standpoint of I got in my head, I was worried about all the wrong things. Right. And in a headspace where that growth and development doesn't happen naturally, but you're in the spot of your life and in your career where like you want it to happen the most. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was that first year transition like? Yeah, funny you say that now because I'm reflecting like when I was in high school, I want to say like probably grade nine to 11 Mm -hmm. before a lot of those social stressors start to kick in. Yeah, I was like type A, like got up at like 5 a.m. every morning to like run on top of like starting to work out like I outside of me, you have never seen it probably never will. (laughs) But I reflect on that. And that is a huge part of my 10,000. Yeah, right there. I'd say those three years like I was able to build such a foundational skill set that served me so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so even when I did maybe get to college and, you know, got pulled in a bunch of different directions and maybe wasn't as, you know, quote unquote, as focused always as be honest. Yeah. Um, the environment I was in in college, plus the foundation I had built kind of was able to still continue to grow. So mm-hmm. I felt like I got to finally feel the benefit of all that hard work in college even Mm -hmm. though it was a stressful time yeah um if that makes sense but I think yeah like my high school years um really was it more of that delayed um type of growth from all the hard work yeah absolutely so you get into you know like a semi-high performance environment with high school and, and playing juniors and whatnot we all know that and then you get into college which is definitely for a lot of female hockey players, like your first step into it, it's kind of 
like the professional for us um, because you know we all know that the sustainable league doesn't exist yet. Um, but then you move from one high performance environment to kind of like that next step up where you're trying out for a national team um, and living with that like that environment for an entire year in centralization. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Yeah, um, it is. It's another step. And I was mm -hmm. fortunate that I was able to be on the very first under 18 team ever for Team Canada. So oh, beautiful timing. I was 17. Mm -hmm. Very first world championships happened. And I'm like, it almost you can't make that stuff up, right? Like that gave me my first high performance experience at the international level mm -hmm. and really gave me that bug you know, for wanting to get back there. And that really fueled me for a long time. But I did actually get cut from the development team right before going into college. So that wow. was maybe a little bit of that delay too, right? And, mm -hmm. and then I really felt like I had a couple great early years at BU. And then it was my, my junior year that I made the senior women's team mm -hmm. for the very first time for um, a Four Nations Cup and then a World Championships my junior year. And um, that was, I remember thinking to myself after I got cut from the development team, like, because there is no sustainable league yet professionally, like you're always, I find as women, we're fighting that clock. We think we have to have early success in our lives um, or it will never happen. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, well, if I don't ever make the senior team before I graduate, then like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to have to make a decision. And yeah, um, but the transition to the senior team was bumpy for me. Uh, I made that my junior year was definitely a, a really, really strong year for me in terms of performance. Um, and then I didn't make it again. I didn't make it again. Uh, my senior year, I didn't make the world championship team. Um, and I didn't make the world championship team the year after that, but then was selected to be centralized. So um, it was, it was definitely, but if I reflect back on it, I think like, you know, that holistic growth I was going through in college, like learning how to be accountable to the lifestyle that you need to have and what mm -hmm. the expectations were and how to do that consistently. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I think defensemen too, the maturity in your game comes a little bit later. Yeah. And I think that that all kind of came together for me about two years after I graduated college in that uh, centralization year. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of perfect to talk about too, right? Because you're you're talking about a, a trajectory that was very much like you had highs that were followed by lows. Mm -hmm. um, and you had areas of your career where your performance didn't necessarily match up with somebody else's decision in terms of making a team or not. Um, and we talk about motivation all the time. Um, and I think certainly like for all young Canadian girls, like putting on Maple Leaf is a huge piece of that. And like being able to wear that jersey but what were some of the things that motivated you to stick with it despite maybe some of the things that were out of your control? That's a great question too. You know, I was really fortunate to have amazing support systems in my life. And it's funny, I reflect on the times that I got cut. You know, my best friends from home would still be at my house waiting for me to see me. Mm -hmm. uh, my family, you know, we would have those conversations where we're like, what the hell? Like, why didn't you make it? Then very quickly they would turn to, all right, it's not about that their decision, like what can you do? Mm -hmm. You know, like you have all of the capability in the world. You know, when you get to that level, when you get to that next level, and I always tell our players, like the difference between the best, the good and great is so small. So mm -hmm. like I was in that mix and now like the differences between making and not making it are so small, but they're little things, little yeah. things that you can continue to grow in and, and change. So I always felt like I had the capability. It was just putting the outcome together is putting mm -hmm. it putting it all together so I think like that's what was able to give me success 
you know, long-term and eventually in terms of like eventually achieving my dream of going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a bumpy ride to get there, but it made it so sweet because I, I learned so much from every time I was cut from every time I wasn't selected, mm-hmm. um, from every time I made it, maybe didn't get the role that I necessarily thought I learned so much in all those moments. And then I'm, I'm a lucky one where I got to get that, you know, those confidence hit confidence hit that you get from either not being selected or not being in a role you want because I was able to go back and play in college and maybe have a bigger role or go back and play professionally at the time in the CWHL and have a bigger role. Mm -hmm. I found like that confidence balance was there and that motivation and reinforcing that I was good enough. And it was just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. Not everybody has that experience for sure. Um, In terms of like, if something doesn't go your way in one area of your life, where can you find confidence elsewhere? Um, and the fact that yours was within the same sport is, is great. And it, you could see how it would translate well. Um, but was there ever a time in your career where you've kind of thought to yourself, like, okay, something needs to change with my mindset as maybe part of that thing that separates good from great. And mm -hmm. it was when I, uh, my senior year, when I was, we were about to graduate. So the spring after the season, I wasn't selected for the world championships team, um, in April. And I remember I was very much, um, on our couch in our dorm room for my senior spring. Didn't yeah. really enjoy a lot of it. I remember a lot of reflection thinking, what am I going to do? You know, I'm either gonna, you know, there was a year between me graduating from Boston university and then the centralization process starting for the 2014 Olympics. Mm-hmm. So I had a year, a hockey season, essentially, um, in order to make a push for that, you know, that ex- extended roster that gets centralized. And, um, and I told myself, I'm either going to go all in and try to make it, or I'm going to start my life. Like Mm -hmm. I have to make a decision. It can't be half in half out. Yeah. And I think what I ended up deciding was moving out to Calgary, um, and playing in the CWHL there and being closer to the resources of hockey Canada and like having a Mm -hmm. fresh start and just really like, I think mentally I was drawn to that because it was like, all right, if I'm going to move out there, like this is it, that's my life. I'm all in. And I think that decision and that move and what came with it was I had to finally put my pride aside. I Mm -hmm. think I was always able when you have the structure of high school and college and you're constantly fighting for that dual dream of playing for your national team. um, You know, you can, you don't necessarily have to acknowledge that, you know, you want it, I guess, if that makes any sense. Right. Because I'm having that dual success. I'm having that success in college and, um, when I moved out there, I had to essentially say it out loud. I want this. Yeah. And once I said it out loud, you could fail. Uh-huh. And I finally had ownership over it. And I finally was able to take that risk. And when you do do that, now you're really even that much more accountable how you your lifestyle is. So I think that was a massive moment for me and a, and a huge piece of, um, you know, kind of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's real fear attached to that, right? Like admitting it. Like, I really, really want this. Because like you said, it's the question of, well, what happens if I don't get it? Is that the, I'm not good enough? That's when you're faced with that question in reality Mm -hmm. of, hey, somebody is telling me that I'm not good enough if I don't make the team. But being able to kind of understand the difference between somebody telling you that you're not being selected right now is not, you are not good enough. Mm -hmm. It's maybe you don't fit the piece of the puzzle that we were looking for. Um, it has nothing to do with your value and your worth as a human being, mm-hmm. but more so 
the way that you fit into the greater puzzle. Yeah. And if it's not the right fit, also, it's not going to be great for you either. If you get thrown into a dynamic where like you actually don't fit well in the puzzle, like you're not going to be satisfied either with it. Right. So mm -hmm. it's so funny you say that because coaching with our, you know, our national under 18 program now, mm -hmm. it's something that myself and I know a lot of our staff is so passionate about. Um, delivering the message that just because you don't get selected for this team, mm -hmm. your journey is not over. You're 17 years old. Yeah. Like you yeah. have a long career. And, mm -hmm. and I always say too, because you select that USA series and then there's the world championships later in the year and the two rosters are never the same. Right. And not enough people understand whether it's parents or the girls themselves understand that to your exact point, you know, there's, a puzzle that the coaches are trying to put together and some stuff's in your control and some stuff's not like, you don't know why decisions were made. It's not clear cut. It's not black and white. Either you're good enough. You're not good enough. Yeah. You know, it's about the right fit for that team that year to have success. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times I find girls think that like your life's over yeah. soon as you get, you know, released or cut one time, it's like, that's over, but it's the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I truly understood that until I was behind a bench myself mm -hmm. making some of those decisions that like younger Lauren sitting on the bench was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this not working? Or what am I doing wrong? Right. So um, I, I don't want it to be a process that requires becoming a coach to understand it. Yeah. Right? How do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I might work in this industry for a living and having conversations about that is huge because to like a big extent of it, having hockey and being a hockey player as part of your identity gets you places. It helps you make decisions versus like what's good for me and what's not um, making like decisions about where you're going to go versus where you're not like parties that you're going to go to versus parties you're going to miss and all that kind of stuff, like being a hockey player and having that identity is huge, but also having a healthy dose of understanding that it's not everything. But how do you tell a kid that when they're in the thick of it? Okay, I want you to be a hockey player and you absolutely are, but you're also all of these other things. I think that was one of the most impactful lessons that I ever learned. Um, and it came from when my performance coach asked me, she goes, Lauren, can you describe yourself? And I listed myself as like a hockey player first, a student, a daughter, a sister, and a friend. Like, awesome, Lauren. There's about <laughs> five million other people in the world that also have those. So are those. And uh, she said to me, she's like, you know, you're a human being, not a human doing. All of those are like things that you do and ways that you show up. But like, how are you a human being? What are the things that you do that make you happy? What are the things that you do that align with your values? And I was like, I have values. <laughs> what are my values? You tell me, yeah. right? So like getting, getting that part of the conversation in the mix early, I think is huge. But anywho, that was a tangent. Yeah. I told you I can go off on tangents. <laughs> we're both good at that. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're obviously like talking about now transitioning from like being a player and going through all of those different steps from high school to you know, national team and under 18s, college, national program, pro hockey as well. And then you got into coaching with BU. Um, talk a little bit about that transition. 
Yeah, well, it kind of builds off of your tangent, though, in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, I, as I got older in my career, I mean, funny enough, a lot of people don't know this. I always did want to coach. I, mm -hmm. It always appealed to me, whether it was when I was watching Remember the Titans as a kid. And, like, I loved that idea of, like, building out a plan, you know, a, a vision, you know, beginning to end. Like, for a whole mm -hmm. season, I used to lay in bed at night as a kid thinking, like, how I would start a season, how you would motivate throughout. It was wild. Yeah. We are so different <laughs> <laughs> so I always kind of was that like bigger picture thinker you know my attention to detail sometimes is not great or my memory but like I like <laughs> to see the, the big picture and so I think that side was always there and then I was so fortunate through my playing career I got to have so many different experiences whether it was like a specific year a different coach or you know my entire journey through you know college or journey through the national program and you know I was so passionate about to your point about being a human being the person that I became through it all yeah. and how it was able to so positively impact my life and negatively at times. Um, but I was so, what ended up motivating me and having me understand the more holistic side of who I was and beyond just being a hockey player was I started to, you know, take pride and have a passion for who I was as a teammate mm -hmm. and my ability to impact others and elevate others and um, funny enough, I think that goes hand in hand with coaching. And um, I was just so passionate about all the things that I was able to learn along the way. And um, just love being able to like inspire my teammates, like give feedback and, and motivate and, and really found like an appreciation for everyone being motivated differently and all those things. So I think you know, it was something that I, you know, knew that or thought that I would like doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then my career kind of reinforced it. And then I was, I mean, the chance to start coaching at BU really came out of nowhere in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. It was always tough to see a path into the coaching world. And in a lot of ways, I had the same pride issue. Well, mm -hmm. if I put myself out there, then it means that I might fail. So yeah. I never really knew where to start. But when the job opened up and I did reach out um, and got to get my feet wet on the coaching side of BU at my alma mater, um, it reinforced that it was everything I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I feel, I feel grateful because it might not have you mm -hmm. know you never know until you're in it and there's a lot that goes on in coaching that's not hockey hockey is a very very small percentage of it mm -hmm. but to bring it back like all those things I became passionate about that weren't hockey on the mm -hmm. coaching side is the biggest reason I think why I liked it on top of everything yeah yeah and there's obviously too like a big shift in between you know being an assistant coach with a team to to being a head coach and making that transition with a brand new program has its own like intimidation factor, I would say. Um, but before we get there, just like what were some of the biggest lessons you think you took from like transitioning out of how do I be a good teammate? How do I show up as like my best version of me for my teammates to now how am I showing up as a coach and how can I show up as like the best version of me for the players that I'm coaching? Mm -hmm. uh, the level of preparation and time. Like there's, there's a lot of things to do to get ready to create an environment that you want for your athletes, whether it's doing an individual video session to mm -hmm. running a skill session, to running a practice, to game preparation, like the preparation that a coach does that the players don't see oh. is wild. You don't even know. You don't even know. So just that like commitment to that and knowing that like it's kind of that delayed feedback too, right? Like mm -hmm. you put all of this work in and you don't really know how it's going to pay off and you might not even from like delivering the message or running the video session or 
running the practice, like you get some, you know, feedback in terms of how you think it went, but like a lot of it's delayed even to, you know, a player's career, like, cause mm -hmm. something that you worked on with them in video and on the ice, something that they eventually like really master in like three years or two years. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just that, that level of preparation is, is no joke and mm -hmm. the time commitment that you put in, but it, it's so worth it. Yeah. And then I think just that life career balance because you really can't be a mentor and a coach for young women if you can't take care of yourself and I mean I can sit here and say that now as a 32 year old and I haven't mastered it and nowhere yeah. close but <laughs> learning along the way yes yes don't try to squeeze those workouts in yeah exactly yeah it's funny though it changes and if you're not ready for that change you're not prepared for it it's a lot harder to do but when you accept the fact that there's going to be changes, and I think that's part of the identity piece as well, right? Like understanding that um, there are aspects of your life that shift, that no longer align with your identity as a hockey player, but like you're not that anymore and that's okay. And it's not a bad thing. And you can certainly still identify as that, but understanding that it's not the main priority anymore shifts where you focus and it shifts, of course, where you spend the majority of your time. So like we may not be spending the majority of our time in the gym anymore or like, you know, even every single meal that we eat, we're like, is this going to help me perform? <laughs> it's about like, how do I show up in service of myself? Number one, um, that might not look like hitting the gym at 5 a.m. anymore or at whatever time your team works out, but it looks different and it's less about the performance aspect physically and more about the performance aspect mentally which is a huge shift as well yeah and internally i think that's another great point like your confidence in who you are and mm -hmm. what you value and what you envision is so much more important than like your ability to play hockey yeah if that makes any sense like if your compass if you feel strong about who you are like the players feel that confidence yeah and if you're always worried about what others think like Coaching is going to feel a lot more overwhelming for you. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, and the ability to be vulnerable, I think is like so much more important because, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to learn way more if you're able to be vulnerable and ask questions, acknowledge you don't know everything where I think sometimes when people step into a coaching role, they think, okay, I have to act like I know everything. Yeah. But so I think that combination of like, well, I think the inner confidence leads to the ability to be vulnerable mm -hmm. um so that's where you know the preparation gives you confidence in terms of like mastery and mastering the you know mm -hmm. the what you're doing which is coaching hockey and then there's like your you know your personal growth and development and confidence and inner self mm -hmm. and then you know using that and if you have those two things I, but it takes a lot of time in two completely different areas <laughs> yeah absolutely so moving into where we're at now with Stonehill taking the job as, you know, a first time head coach with a brand new program, like we said, has its own intimidation factor to it, I'm sure. Um, but what have been maybe some of the biggest shifts that you've noticed so far? Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, building from scratch, I think, I mean, we're still in the thick of it, of mm -hmm. all the challenges that come with it. Um, but for where I was at in my career, the more I reflect on it, and especially the more I reflect on the last year and a half taking this job, obviously last year was spent building um, mm -hmm. and recruiting players, and this year we're actively competing. Um, 
that year last year was huge mm -hmm. for a new young coach in general, let alone head coach. I got a year to really get my feet wet, um, mm -hmm. to get my feet wet on campus and kind of learn a little bit more of the administrative side of being a head coach, um, to get my feet wet, you know, planning our first year and not have to necessarily hit the ground running to get to kind of hand select, you know, the people that are going to come on this journey with me instead of like jumping on a moving train. I think all of those things in terms of what my, you know, perceived strengths were mm -hmm. and where my gaps were, yeah. I think this type of transition in my life may have been a better fit than maybe taking over a program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, there's no way of knowing either way because I've only done one. So, but I truly felt like there was a lot, even though it was very, very challenging, it is very, very challenging. I felt that in a way it was the best fit for me to make mm -hmm. this transition. And, um, but that being said, I mean, it, it hasn't been easy and still figuring a lot out as we go now that we're kind of, you know, we're, we're in season and managing all the stresses that come with it. But I think the biggest challenge that I've noticed so far this year, now that we have girls on campus and a full coaching staff and we're in the mix is that um, the problems get brought to you now. <laughs> You're not causing the problems anymore. <laughs> And I like, I don't know, I have to actually ask Brian this, um, coach at BU, but like all the things that he probably was dealing with on a daily basis that like we maybe knew of like 10% of what he was doing. Yeah. Like, because you're getting them, you know, your assistant coaches are helping because they're really close to the players and they, you know, they bring up, you know, concerns that they might see being a little bit closer. And then you have players coming directly to you that are bringing things, the athletic trainer and the strength coach and your, yeah. your boss and all <laughs> of these things are getting thrown at you in different directions and being able to just manage what needs to be dealt with now, mm -hmm. um, being patient and not overreacting in a lot of the moments, yeah. um, kind of triaging the mm -hmm. problems is probably the, the toughest thing that I've kind of experienced so far. Yeah. And I think what we're talking about, all of what is like happening right now and the, the triaging, the, the problem solving and getting creative about like, okay, all these problems are coming to me now. I have to figure out like what to do with them because you can't just let them fester. Yeah. Um, is an understanding that like, it's never going to be perfect. It's no. the growth and development piece, right? Like, and number one, it's right in our faces as a brand new program. Like we know that things aren't perfect yet. And that's totally fine because we never expected them to be. And when you come at it from that kind of perspective, being able to look at it and say like, well, well, you know, it's just another thing. Didn't think it was going to be perfect anyways. Mm -hmm. So what can I do? As opposed to if you have that perspective of like, oh, I've got to make it look great. It needs to be perfect on day one. We need to be full steam ahead by week two. It's like then you're setting yourself up to fail because mm -hmm. you know it's like, just not gonna happen <laughs> so we have to take all of that advice we just talked about that we wish we knew as players yeah and apply it to ourselves all over again mm -hmm. it's a long career it's a long season yeah. if you're really always only and so much easier said than done like but if we're only ever worried about the next win yeah and winning next friday or saturday or things being perceived perfect every mm -hmm. day like you're not going to get anywhere you're going to be paralyzed by that idea and that thought and yeah. as much as I sat there on our team zooms in phase one this summer <laughs> and I told the girls like it's not going to be perfect mm -hmm. 
I did not take my own advice very well early on. Yeah, like, yeah. I think I it still was there, even though I knew and said all the right things. I think I was more overwhelmed by it. You know, this isn't perfect, but mm -hmm. it's so that's what it should be. Right. You know? Right. And acknowledging too that a, a healthy amount of that, like wanting it to be perfect, I think helps drive you to to do some things, right? Or like to ask for that extra thing that hasn't happened yet or to push for something that you're not liking so far. Um, but it's definitely keeping a healthy perspective of it, right? Like you can't let that drive your life because if we're talking about environments that ultimately push people to go back to some of those negative habits that we've all had at some point as an athlete, this is definitely one of them. Like you very easily could have walked into this environment and been like, self-care? never heard of her. <laughs> Don't have time. Too many things going on, right? Like I've got 21 kids on campus that need me to solve all their problems. Yes. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And I think it's, um, you know, you definitely have the tendency to do that. And we laugh about it now. And I think that's one thing I finally feel so far now this year, the last couple of weeks, I've started to feel like the comfortability of being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and knowing like, you know, Sunday is a mental health day and Sunday's for my family and I'm not going to watch the game film on Sunday and I'm going to feel more stressed on Monday, mm -hmm. but long-term it's what's best. Yeah. And like just getting comfortable with making those decisions, whether it's like personally or at work. Yeah. No clipping on Sunday. No clipping on Sundays. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. And it's, I think one of the, like one of the biggest things we talk about on the show is that it never ends. The journey of figuring yourself out and what works best for you never stops. And anytime that you make a transition in life, whether it's, you know, from being an athlete to not being an athlete anymore, or being an athlete to being a coach, or just, you know, like even players and some of my friends have done this now transitioning from, you know, just being themselves and being in a relationship to getting married to having kids, like there's things that change about you. And being okay with that change is like the first step to actually adapting. Mm -hmm. Because if you're okay with the change and you understand that it's not going to be perfect, then you can start to like problem solve creatively using all of the 10,000 hours that you have in different areas of your life. Whereas a lot of people get stuck on like, oh, I'm in this role now. That means that if I'm giving myself that title, I have to know it. Mm -hmm. I have to have everything figured out and that's just not the case yeah and to build off that and solving problems using the people around you yeah and I think that now even this is so helpful this is like therapy for me right now <laughs> like I reflect on our first month or so as a group um, I think when you're not as confident in yourself and what you're doing and you're uncomfortable you try to solve problems by yourself mm -hmm. and you think that like you have to do it it has to be perfect but when you start to be okay with like delegating and involving and asking questions and having more of that growth mindset and having confidence and knowing that like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And like being confident that what you're still bringing and providing every day is good enough mm -hmm. and your ability to be curious is going to make you even better. Yeah. And that's where I slowly find that I'm getting closer to definitely not there, but like asking you guys more questions, <laughs> like, delegating more like getting feedback whereas I, we were treading water a little bit at the beginning and it was like all right you're I'm going to plan for practice you do this and less collaboration was happening mm -hmm. and now I'm feeling way more joy in this experience because we're having a little bit more time for collaboration and that truly is what I love though yeah teams and hockey and coaching staff and that and mm -hmm. if you lose that then what are we doing 
Yeah. Why have a coaching staff? Why have why have multiple opinions? You just do it all by yourself. <laughs> you can exactly. take it all. You can clip all you want and also run practice and also have meetings with everybody. <laughs> I'll just sit here. Yeah, and we're never gonna get better as a team. Like we're right. gonna get to where we should be, but then what are you doing now if you're not growing? Mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest lessons I ever learned or have learned so far in my life is that you just showing up and being yourself in an environment is enough. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to, you don't have to do anything extravagant, <laughs> like just showing up and being authentically you and engaging with people that way is enough. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to edit a little bit more in there. Sometimes you need to take a little out, but like, you are enough just you yeah not any outcome that you produce um but yeah how do we get our girls there god journals yeah (laughs) journal but it it starts with it starts with knowing yourself and i think like if there's a huge piece of your journey it seems like you've always known yourself pretty well or worked hard to know yourself um yeah oh and there's there's blind spots right like we've all got blind spots yeah um but it's again being okay with having them and figuring out what they are and moving forward um anything that you would want to share as a last little tidbit i guess what um you know what your thoughts have been so far in this experience oh no you're trying to mic on me (laughs) this Um, isn't a test oh god um filter out all the negative experience no (laughs) um what what have I thought so far um I think the one of the first things that I would note is a tremendous respect for people that have been doing this for a long time coaching is not easy um it is definitely a profession that pushes against your boundaries um so like I'm so thankful for the fact that like I had strong boundaries already in place around like my time and when I need it um yeah so like a huge newfound respect for coaches um because I mean I've said this on the show before at one point in my life I had no interest in being a coach um what else uh the relationships with your players are way more gratifying than I ever thought they would be and it's the same thing with like the coaching staff not to toot your own horn in too much um and Megan's because I tell you guys this all the time but I love this job like I knew that I would enjoy it as soon as I started having conversations with you guys and like we got together in like Placid and had that weekend, but like holy shit, I love this job. <laughs> um yeah, so it's it's good. And I think that like I was a drill buster in college. So on the more <laughs> on the more and it was because I was so nervous to make mistakes. Yeah. So once I knew the drills, I was <laughs> but then showing up as a as a coach and like having to make drills I was like oh this is not gonna go well for me <laughs> I think it's actually a strength I 100% like when you know how to break them you know how to make <laughs> you know how to fuck them up so bad you'll figure out how to make them <laughs> I think we just can't we discovered something there <laughs> yeah we did um so everybody who wants to be a coach consider drill busting for a little bit <laughs> No, it's funny. I remember, um, I think Mark was getting fed up with me. And one day he just, he's like, Lauren, you're on first. (laughs) No. Keep the whistle in your mouth because it's going off. But yeah, I don't know. I think like 
I knew it was going to be hard and I knew it was going to be challenging. Um, and I wasn't sure how I was going to react to all that, but I think that's been like my biggest takeaway is that regardless of all the other stuff that's going on, which like, there's always a lot, um, it's been extremely rewarding and trying to like finagle the puzzle pieces around differently has been awesome while getting to understand fully that you're not necessarily trying to put together a puzzle that has a predetermined image already. Mm -hmm. Like the image is changing based on where you move the puzzle pieces because there's multiple different outcomes that you could be going for. I have to put that point. It's a shape-shifting puzzle. We need to transition <laughs> to a staff meeting and build off that. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. As long as it fits with our bandwidth. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'll see you for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I won't see you later. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs>